your Bible to Galatians chapter one, we'll be starting at verse 10 and uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for each person here. Lord, we thank you for this church body, this family we have, and we pray that you would, uh, Lord, speak to us this morning by your spirit, Lord, through your word, that we would be able to hear from you, God, that our hearts would be open to you, Lord, that we would be uh, just willing to allow you to have access to um, anything we're holding on to that's, that's hurting us or keeping us back, we would allow you to have that space to minister to us and to um, lead us and heal us and free us. We want to be free in you, God. So um, remove anything that's choking the life that you have for us. Let's remove move anything that is a stumbling block or... or uh, I don't know, just whatever it is, God, that's, that's holding us back. We pray that we'd be completely free and complete in you, God. Your work would be uh, not hindered, but you'd be, have free access to us. And we would just, uh, just enjoy that and allow that. So we thank you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 1. Um, We kind of ended off with verse 10 last week, but I thought it's actually a really good segue kind of into this next section. Um, By way of recap, you weren't here last week. uh, Galatians, it was written to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And Paul's extremely frustrated uh, because they're allowing a different gospel to come in. And he calls it not a gospel at all. Uh, it, it is the rebirth of legalism. It is uh, Judaism laid on top of the, the work that Jesus had done. So uh, basically all these Gentiles had come to know Jesus. And these Judaizers had moved out from Jerusalem. And they were affecting uh, the Gentile believers saying, "You Okay, great. That's awesome. You're following Jesus. But you can't forget all the law. You have to continue to do the law. So they're saying you got to be circumcised and you're going to have to um, follow these laws and follow the feasts, all these different things. And Paul is furious about it because Paul came from the place of the law, the Judaizers. And the law is not bad. It has a good purpose. But the purpose is to show you you need someone to help you to uh, fulfill the law, which is Jesus. Jesus being that fulfillment So Paul's basically like, you can't go back to adding man's works onto the gospel because that's not what the gospel is about. That's where men start being able to have power and that you can make a hierarchy and you could show that you're actually better than them. But if if we're taking the gospel at face value and um, allowing that work, we say it's all Jesus. Like God did the whole thing. Like it was all him. We have no standing in and of ourselves. We have nothing to lay claim to. We have no boasting. All of it goes to him. Legalism and man in general will always want the credit they think they deserve. And so Paul, again, starts off with no like sweet salutation. He gets right into it. He's like, I am, I marvel that you've walked away from the gospel. I cannot believe that you've walked away from the gospel. Like, it makes no sense to me why you would allow this to happen. Like, I'm, and so he's very, very frustrated. And we're going to see 
kind of his background. He's going to talk about his background. And that's very relevant because this is an issue of Judaism, which Paul was like, you know, the king of it, right? He was the guy. And so kind of going to continue in with that. But verse 10 kind of left off last week with this. He said, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. Paul's saying, if, if you're about pleasing men, if it's all about the credit you get before men, then you're going to miss out on pleasing God. And Paul's like, I could care less about pleasing men. I want to please God. And as I please God, it it affects men in a positive way, in a good way. Like, I'm more useful to the people here on earth. Just like, you know, giving your, your kids everything they want, doesn't. it's not a good thing. You think, well, what more loving thing could I do than give my kids everything they want? How does that turn out, right? Like, yo, oh, oh, yeah, of course I'll buy that for you because I love you. Well, if you love me, you do this, you know. Well, I do love you, so I should, Right? And, and just like, you know, if you choose, if, if you, a church chooses to give the people what they want in a sense, right. Uh, and we all do this. I think that there's a real balance where you give the word in, in a relevant way where people can understand it and it's useful, but it gets twisted up when you're just like, Oh, wh- what kind of thing would people want to hear? Right. That obviously, like, there's going to be a point where we don't want to hear that, but we need to hear that. And I have to deal with that all the time. You're going through the Bible and go, okay, that's not something I would choose to do or teach. But it was really useful for me. The whole idea is, like, we, we've got to make sure we are looking to God, pleasing God. We don't, who could care less about man in that sense? Because if we choose to please man, we're going to lose pleasing God. If we please God, then we help man. You know, and, and really, the cool thing is that simplifies life. Just like, you know, a whole section on praying. When you pray, you go in your closet and you get away, and you don't worry about you know trying to make it look like a big spectacle so everyone says, "Oh, wow, he's so holy." But you go in your room and you pray to God in secret, and He answers you openly. If we believe that God is who he says he is, then you do that and you watch him provide and it's a beautiful thing. So Paul's saying, I, I don't want, I, I'm not here to please man. And so if you guys want to make this a man-pleasing thing again, or, you know, where it all gets super corrupt, I, I'm not into that. Uh, he's like, if, if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. This is, because he says, if I still pleased men, because his life before was pleasing men. It was following their rules. And he's like, I would rather be free in Christ. He, Paul's curious about being in, under the audience of one. It's, it's, people are fickle, by the way, if you haven't noticed. Like, you can't, you can't please people. It's just like a never-ending... It's almost like the more you try to please them, the harder it gets, right? Because they just... They grow like this appetite for more and more and more and more. And so it's, it, it's a never-ending pursuit. It's not worth it. It's a waste of time, and it's detrimental to our character and our calling. God has called us to do something specific, but it only works when we, our eyes are on him, and we're doing it as unto him. 
That's why when, even when we work, it, we don't work for the, our boss or even our clients. We work as unto the Lord. And as you do it as unto the Lord, there, there's just joy in it, no matter what. Because you're like, mission accomplished. If you're working unto men, you will always feel underappreciated. You'll always feel uh, like somebody else isn't doing what they should be doing. And they're getting the credit. What does it matter? None of that matters. If you're looking unto the Lord, you just do it before him. And he just deals with the rest. (laughs) Here you go, Lord. This is before you. This is for you. I'm doing it as unto you. So our character and our calling, it is extremely important that we uh, have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Serving him, not men. So that we don't lose the potency or the power. The gospel is the power of God to save us and and then to save those around us. But we can take away that power by taking away the good news of the gospel. There you go. All right. Verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Neither uh, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, the gospel that I know, because remember he's saying that these are two different gospels. If you add the law and works onto it, we are no longer talking about the same gospel. This is a legit dividing line. And of course, we could all sit back and say, oh yeah, we totally understand that. But it happens a lot where the works thing starts becoming more and more prevalent and it starts being a legalistic trip. And one of the first things you'll notice is that the people lose freedom and joy in the Lord all the time. Every time when legalism starts showing up, there's like a lack of freedom. There's an increased amount of fear and it is the joy goes flying out the window because you're not enjoying your relationship with God because You're not receiving like you should be receiving. And you're trying to say, look how good I am, God. Can't you see I'm good? Can't you see I'm good? Look at all those people. They're terrible, but look at me. I'm doing good. I'm so good. And you're trying to fulfill something that you were never meant to be able to fulfill. Whereas if we say, it was all you, Lord. I am so grateful. Like, (laughs) believe me, anything you give to me and I handle on my own, I screw up. I'm more than happy to give you the reins. Like, thank you so much for the grace, the mercy. I am just like so in awe of who you are. There's freedom, there's joy, there's peace that's found in that place. Uh, And Paul says, this gospel that I preached to you, it wasn't made by men. And it wasn't even delivered to me by a man. Jesus himself is the one that showed me this. The, the, the gospel being taught by the Judaizers was very man-influenced. You can always tell when man has an influence in it because you think like a man. <laughs> like you think like this is a way the man would think. You really, a lot of times when you think like what, what God, it's so counterculture to the world, right? Man, it's ratings and rankings and graphs and charts. God's like, I care about your heart. <laughs> I see where you are. I see who you are. And I want to free you from that. And it's not because you earned anything or you deserve anything, but because I am love. So Paul received that. And, uh, you know, he says, I'm not trying to be like those who, you know, twist it up and fill in the blanks for their own 
you know, liking or whatever, add their own twist to it to make it make sense. Paul's conversion is a radical story. It's found in Acts chapter 9. Um, I thought it'd be cool to read it since Paul's bringing it up. We'll just read it real quick. It says, then Saul, Saul was Paul before, it was his former name. Uh, this tells you about who Paul was. He was intense no matter what. But there's this image right here, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, uh, went to the high priest and asked letters from the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were in the, of the way, meaning the believers, uh, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Um, Paul, like this, especially the very first part, still breathing threats. Like that is like, I mean, you know, that kind of mad, right? It's like, just like, you know, like he's just like furious. And it's one thing to be momentarily furious, but this is like furious for a really long time. Okay. It didn't all happen in like a day or like an hour. And we've all had that moment where it's just like, oh my, you know, your teeth and you're talking through your teeth and, and he's just like, I'm going to kill him. You know, he's freaking out and, you know, ready to go get him. And it was like a pursuit for him. He was going for it. Was it, was it anything that he did? Oh, like these great works. Paul's like, yeah, I really, I really was in a great place when I was looking for God at that point. Um, and so that's, of course, why he met me. No, he was going to kill the Christians. <laughs> so if he found any of them, he wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? A bright light, so bright that it makes you hit the ground. That doesn't happen every day, right? And then a voice that Saul immediately knew it was the Lord, right? He's like, I don't know who you are, but you're the Lord. The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, tre- so he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is Paul's conversion story. (laughs) So when he says, like, this message was delivered to me uh, from the Lord, well, he really meant it. Like, (laughs) Like, Jesus himself told him. Like, that's a unique conversion story, right? But I think, I, I would hope we've all had something like that. Now, not necessarily where you've been, had a light shown, but where you knew full on that God was speaking to you. And he was calling you. Not just because, you know, your friends went forward at a harvest crusade. I don't want to be left behind. Uh, uh, especially if it was in the 90s, left behind was a big thing, right? And so, you know, and you're like, okay, sure, I guess I'll come in. Hopefully no one talks to me, you know, like, you know, that, that's okay in a sense, right? Where you're like around good people, I guess. But we've all got to come to the place where we go, God, you are calling me. Like you are calling me, not my friends aren't trying to convince me or 
doesn't seem like a nice group of people or their potlucks are pretty good. Barbecues on, on Sundays sounds good. You know, I'm down. Well, where you know God called you. And it was him that did that. That's essential to your relationship being in the right place before the Lord. All of us have to be there. Because the time will come, the shifting sands will come, and if your relationship is built on the foundation of someone else, it's going to fall. It's going to fall away. It's not going to work. It's not going to be, because that's not sustainable. They are not, there's no holding hands into heaven. I was with them. I was on their guest list. There's a plus one, I was told, in heaven. It's like, no, it's between you and him, straight up. So Paul, although he has a very dramatic experience, it's, it is still relevant to us. You remember the day when you were called? Do you remember the day when you recognized you needed a savior? Do you remember the day and the circumstances and all the little things where the right thing was said at the exact right time by someone you didn't know or they wouldn't had any clue? Whatever it looked like for you sitting at home, feeling desperate, you know, hopeless. And God met you there. If you don't have that experience between you and the Lord, you, you need to have that. I'm not telling you like, go make up an experience. But if, if you don't feel like, you know, I've, I've never had that where I feel like, um, I actually know Jesus called me or whatever. I just felt like it kind of just somewhat makes sense. It was like, God really reveal yourself to me. So I know, like, I know you. Like, I have that. I want need to have that relationship with you because that is essential. Like Paul said, like, I got this gospel from him. He's the one that initiated it. He's the one that did it. So his, his is uh, definitely, that's the case. He, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Obviously, we're going to have people that help us to understand what that means, but it's important to understand the calling of God and respond to that between you and him. Just between you and him. Nothing else, just you and him. Because um, that's the start of your relationship with him. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And he's like, I'm known. I know I'm known for, for this, right? It's something to be notorious. It's always weird to hear someone say something about you that you're like, oh, yeah, everybody knows that about you. And you're like, what? I didn't know that about me. Like, you see me like that? That's weird. I didn't even realize I did that. Or somebody will say something like, that you say it like this. Or, or oh, that's one of the, oh, that sounds like you. Or they like kind of like impersonate you and say something. You're like, that's offensive. I didn't know I did that. First time I ever taught, I was sitting there and, and uh, I was so fresh, like really a new Christian. And, and I had my first time teaching to the high school group and I'm sitting there and I'm talking and there's this one girl, she's sitting there and she looks like she's taking notes and I'm like, this must be good. I think this must, things must be going well. High school, she's taking notes and she was a little like, she was a funny, she was like a kind of sarcastic and um, yeah. So she comes up to me afterwards. She's like, I just wanted you to know that you said, um, 78 times. It was a tally sheet of how many times I'd said, um, and it messed me up bad, you know, like, 
try not to say um anymore, but that's very hard. I, I guess it was good to know, but I was like, I thought you were taking notes, like not note of how many times I said um. But it, we, you could be notorious for lots of different things. Paul said, I know you guys know who I was. And I know my, my reputation precedes me. We, we know that was active because a lot of the disciples did not want to see him. They're like, uh, that's the guy that kills us, right? Do you think maybe he's acting like he's one of us to get in? Like they were, they were nervous about Paul. These people who are fearless were nervous about Paul. He said, uh, I, I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Also, he says, that's the church of God, not the Judaism. Paul thought he was serving God before. But he says, I was actually persecuting the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy, destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of the fathers. This should be no surprise to us about Paul. That he moved up quickly. Talk about zeal. And he, and he says that zeal persecuting the church. I was zealous. I was all about the thing you guys are dabbling in. Like you're messing around with it. I was full blown giving my life to this. So please understand. I know what I'm talking about when we're dealing with Judaism being brought in. He says, you've heard. And Paul was known. He, admittedly, it was, he was a. Uh, he was persecuting the church. Uh, it's, it's interesting. He was, uh, what, a, what a real contrast in his life is like, I think a perfect example of what the real gospel looks like compared to a false man's gospel. What he was like before was just strife and uh, just anguish and fear and um, violence and it was the epitome of man. This is what the best we can do. This is what our religious is. And really, if you boil it down, a lot of that's what a lot of religion looks like. If you really get down to it. Because that's all we can produce. And that's the only kind of righteousness we can produce. It's fear-based. It's, uh, it, there's, just no, there's no life in it. It's death. Then you see Paul on the other side, and, and he's so willing. To, he's just free. He's like, I'm willing to die for this. I'm willing to give my whole life for this. But when it pleased God, verse 15, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. When it pleased God to separate him. God saw Paul and he had a plan for Paul. Paul was clearly called to something, right? I mean, it's so obvious. Like Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, Paul, I got something for you to do. And if you were to continue on in, in that section, you know, it goes to Ananias and says, hey, by the way, Paul's coming and uh, I got big plans for him. He's going to speak the gospel to the Gentiles. And at this time, the Gentiles would have been like, Paul would have spit it. He might have slapped someone 
They told him he was going to be working with the Gentiles. Because the Jews at that time, had thought the Gentiles were only good for fueling hell's fire. That's pretty much the only thing they were good for. I heard in a message it said that, that a, a Jew wouldn't help a Gentile in birth because it's just all, the only thing that you gain out of it is bringing another Gentile into the world. There's no good out of that. You know, like someone's in labor pains or whatever. I was like, okay, a little intense maybe. Paul would be called to preach to them. And so God had a big plan for him, right? He was separated from, uh, he separated me from my mother's woman, called me through what? His grace. Legalism will never be based on grace because it's, the two are, are contrary. Grace is like God's unmerited favor. Like we are so blessed. Like you're, you're lavishing your grace upon us and we're just receiving it. And we're soaking it in. Legalism is the opposite. You don't live in grace and you don't let other people live in grace. Through his grace, he separated me to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul was separated. God had done a work and separated him. Let me encourage you with something here this morning. If you have heard the calling from the Lord, if you've been separated, you know that God has called you out then you know he separated you from the womb for a good purpose, but he has something for you to do. Not just to be separated just for fun, but that he has something for you to do. Paul had been separated for a good thing that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I was saved for something. That's that's the thing is like, a lot of times we view like serving as like, okay, serving's cool for people who like to serve. That's like their gift is serving. Serving is not that. And, and serving can look like a lot of different things. It's not just like, this is not like, we need people in the children's ministry message. Serving is, God, what do you want me to do? Like, God, what is it that you want me to do? Like, what have I been separated for? Why did you call me out? And if you don't know, I think it's a good question to ask. The Lord, like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to serve? Like, how do you want me to be a part of this? Because I've been set apart for something. Because serving is the joy of being able to work with God in something. Well, of course, if you're serving and you're not doing it as under the Lord and you're not enjoying that, you're not doing it in grace, it becomes a gnarly burden. And then that's the point where you say, as soon as you start seeing, I think of this all the time. If people are burned out and they're not stoked and they're not into like serving and then they're in a place of serving anyway, that is like a, like a cancer cell in the church. It's like, it's like, it's bad and it reproduces and it gets really ugly. So like, if you're not there and you're not doing this in joy or in grace and peace, then you're going to start projecting some rough stuff. And I've seen it before different places children's ministry you find a a, one of the children's ministry teachers is is really harsh and and is starting to get hard on the kids you know what that does to kids like when you start like making it about rules and regulations and, and you start getting really really hard on them and start like just enforcing hardcore like legalistic stuff on them and they're not enjoying themselves they're not like seeing the grace of god they're not seeing any joy they need to be gone for your kids' sake. And so if you're, I would say, if, if you're not there or you're getting bummed out, roll. D- don't do it. 
Come back. We'll be stoked for you to come back. But right now, it's not the time. Because you think, oh, we need people. We need people. Not that much. Not that kind of people. God will provide the rest. He'll take care of the rest. But if you're not in a place where you're like doing this in joy, it's like, man, so much drama, so much trouble can be produced by that mindset and thinking. But we've been called and separated through his grace, what? To do something. Through his grace, in his grace, by his grace, with his grace. In the same way you receive it, you give it. And so this is, this is it. This is Paul. He's like saying, this is how I was called. This is how I received the gospel. And if it doesn't look somewhat like this, then, then you're, this is not the same thing. And then he says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. I think it's important to be around people who are uh, believers. I'm not saying, I don't think it's a good idea necessarily to um, go Lone Ranger, right? Like, okay, God met with me. Now I'm going to go live by myself in the desert for three years. That's a little special of a situation. But I think what Paul's trying to say, and he wasn't by himself either. But I think what he was trying to say is he didn't go to be justified by the apostles before him. Like he wasn't looking for them to be like, hey, I'm good now, right? I'm cool now, right? I'm cool. He's like, Paul's like, no, oh no, I met Jesus and now I'm going to go hang out with him. And it was for three years he hung out with him out in the desert. After three years, it says it right there. 18, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But then I saw, uh, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. After three years, Paul gets saved. He goes away for three years to be taught by the Lord. A separation, uh, reprogramming, Like, (laughs) he needed that season to go be away between him and the Lord and not be thrust into the limelight. Because, I mean, this is, God, you know, you got a pretty high-profile testimony here. And, And it's cool that Paul uses his testimony as part of sharing the message because I'm a receiver of the gospel. I'm showing you this is how I've received the gospel. And Paul has a powerhouse testimony. I, I kind of wonder sometimes, it's like, what would it be like now if this was if the Apostle Paul? We'd throw him up on the stage right away if we could. And I think Paul would not let you. <laughs> He'd probably just keep it quiet to himself for quite a while. But after three years, he comes into Jerusalem finally to meet with one of the apostles. Could you imagine what people are thinking at this point? What happened to that guy? He just went nuts, right? So he goes and he meets with Peter. And he remained with him 15 days. And then he saw James. That's all he saw at that point. And he's like Mr. Mysterious for sure. So he, was, he went off and he, he did this thing and, and spent time with just him and the Lord. Um, that is a sign that it is a real thing, isn't it? Just between you and the Lord. Don't worry about anybody else. Just between you and me, Lord. That's it. And at some point, you've got to get there. You've got to be established like that. Like... Um, I remember I had a friend who had his, 
he came to the Lord, his girlfriend came to the Lord, and her coming to the Lord was through him. And it was like everything was through him. It was like the prayers were through him. Like the, it was like every single thing was like all through him. And, and he started to realize it, and he's like, this is not good. And they actually ended up, he's like split up, went through different directions. And then said, okay, you, you know, let's see. And, of course, what happened, she fell apart because everything was built on him. But eventually came back around. But, you know, but then it was between, you know, her and the Lord. And, and he was not in a weird position where he's like uh, her high priest or whatever, like going before the Lord. Uh, Lord, uh, she wants to pray for this thing now. Um, so he's like, she could talk to me. I hope you know. It's easy to do that though, right? Um, and a lot of times you can do that with different people in your life. You can do that with your spouse. You can do that even with a pastor, which, uh, you know, the, my job is to, what, to shepherd and to uh, raise up and encourage people and their gifts and equip and all of that. Uh, but it's between you and the Lord and encourage you to do this, between you and the Lord to have a relationship. If this is all you have between you and the Lord, you're missing out real bad, like super bad, super hardcore. Like, and I'm not saying that to make you bummed. I'm saying that to make you stoked. It's way better than you thought. <laughs> and, and we all need to be there. We go, it's between me and God, not between me and God and anyone else. Just me and God. That's it. So Paul had that down. Verse 20. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Paul then represented a life changed. And, and what was the result? That was worth giving God a bunch of praise. Paul was legitimately changed by the good news of the gospel. His, he was completely different. He was a new creation. And I was just, Tori and I were talking the other day, and it was like a situation where I was really frustrated about something, and, and, uh, and I was just, I just was like, yeah, that's, and it was a spiritual matter, and I was like, it's between, that's God's deal. Like, cause, cause my, you know, a lot of times you, you get into a frustrating situation and you go back to your default and, and it's like, oh, I'll just, you know, blast them like this or something, you know, like it's, it's so easy to like go back to that, but it's like, you know, it's a spiritual matter. If God doesn't do it, it's not going to work. And, and even it's like, Hey, stop acting like that. That's legalism. God has to change the heart from the inside out. Paul was a changed man. And only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can do that. And, and it's funny, I was, I was listening to in a commentary or, or a message on this. And it's saying, who would even w- was praying for Paul at that time? I'm sure there was probably, you know, some people praying for him. But I mean, how many people were like, let's pray for the guy who's killing us? Well, I think about that, like in our own modern times, right? It's like, are you praying for terrorists to come to the Lord? You know? Oh gosh, you can even go, are you praying for the people who are the opposite side of your political party to come to the Lord? Like Paul was 
completely different than it. But God could do it. And he did do it. And all the glory went to him. We do know that there was someone that was praying for Paul. And I think that this was the most impactful uh, thing that Paul or situation or person that Paul had come across aside from Jesus himself meeting with him. And I think it actually paved the way. And that was Stephen. Paul oversaw the death of Stephen. And what was Stephen doing? Praying for the people who were killing him. Forgive them, God. Forgive them. Like, don't like, they don't, please don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. And then what's going on with Stephen? He's, his face is shining like an angel. And he's like, and he's like so happy. I bet you Paul's just like, what was that? And I think it bothered him so much on the inside. He's like, I got to just destroy all of that because I can't deal with that again. It's the whole thing's got to go. So it's almost like he turned it up even more as he's wrestling it with his, on the inside, he's powering into it, going even harder at it. A lot of times the people who are the closest to coming to the Lord are the ones that are the most against it right beforehand. The whole guard is up because they're getting hit. Boom, boom. They're kind of getting convicted and they're like, I hate being convicted. Like, what is that? Why is something happening? The more that they're showing off that, that things are happening, it means God's kind of like doing something to them. The, most, the worst case scenario is complete callous. You feel nothing. You think nothing. You care nothing. That's lukewarm, right? Whatever. Yeah, apathetic. Okay. That's fine. You can think that. Whatever. But it's like, no, no, he didn't. You know, Paul would went in even harder. God did something in him. We know Stephen prayed for him. We know he was a witness. And I think it was, I think it was a big deal. <laughs> I think it shook Paul hard. Because he'd probably overseen the death and been around the death of other people. But Stephen was different. He saw something there that he was like, I have never seen something like that before in my life. And he's literally praying for him. And now Paul has been called to minister to the Gentiles, the free gospel. And he is not going to let the bondage of the law come back in and take away the freedom he's found in Christ. If you've been made free, you, 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 you can't imagine going back. I, 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 can't, I can't go back. And that's why he's so angry about this because he says, you guys are dabbling around in this thinking it's like no big deal. He's like, I lived for this and I know what this produces. It's death. But freedom is found in Christ. And that is good news. The gospel sets us free from sin, from death, from, from uh, caring what people think about us. I mean, we, we can full on know, right? If we're following Jesus, like that, there's going to be, people are not going to like you. Some, they're not going to like you. They didn't like him. If they don't like him, they're not going to like you. He was perfect. He's like making food out of nothing, raising dead people, healing sick people, like loving on everyone he comes in contact with. And they hated him. So, don't give yourself too much credit to think that you're better than that. Okay. It's like they persecuted him. They're going to persecute you. There's going to be that. It's going to happen. 
You know, one point or another, it's, it's going to happen. There's going to be those issues that are going to come up, and, and we're going to have to deal with that as, as we go forward. But we have to continue to preach the good news of the gospel no matter what, because this is the only thing that can free people. And, and one of the things we think sometimes that will free people is just keeping peace with everyone or just being cool with everyone. But the, sometimes it gets messy before it gets good. And it's spirit-ordained, it's not in the flesh, and it's not like fighting to fight, but it's just being who you are, being free, and that's going to cause issues. Like, remember Stephen, he was looking up, and his face shone like an angel, and they're screaming, and they're covering their ears. They can't handle what's going on. Because the world is dying, and the flesh hates the spirit. But we're called to be free in the midst of slave I'm in the midst of, of bondage. We're called to be light in the midst of darkness. So that some, not all, as many as possible, could also come to the light. Could also be free. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not us, it's him. Allowing him to live in us and through us. Free. It's like, that is it. That's the, that's the hope. That's our hope found in Jesus. So... Encourage you. You've been called. You've been separated. If you know, like, God has called you to salvation, also know he's called you to do something. And if you're not doing something, you're missing out on part of what God wants to do. You're missing out on, you've experienced the partnership of salvation. You're missing out on the partnership of serving. And that's a beautiful thing. You're missing out on on the partnership of being his hands and his feet as you ministers, as you get to see God do miracles in front of you, affecting lives, seeing other people be free. The only thing better than your own salvation is watching other people's salvations. Watching them become free. Watching them get it and change and their family change and their generations of family change. We get to be a part of that. But we're called to it. What are we called to do? God, show me, lead me, guide me. Lord, we are so thankful for the good news of the gospel. It is good news. 